So we're starting a new series this morning called Living Out What Lies Inside. And we decided we're going to go through the book of James for the summer. And uh, I love doing that, picking a book of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, and it'll be up here on the screen too, open up to James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, the goal, the goal of every single believer, your ultimate goal in life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Once you understand that, honestly, most other things will fall into place in your life. Once you understand that, as you read through the Word of God, because this passage is challenging, but there's a lot of challenging passages in the Bible, but once you understand that your ultimate goal in life, your ultimate purpose in life, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, it will help you in so many ways because nothing you do in this life matters, okay? Nothing you do on this earth matters if it's not built on that foundation. I remember uh, when I first started going to church, I was 17 and a half years old and they had a choir and I was not really the choir boy kind of person growing up in New York in a one-bedroom apartment with my mom. And our, I, we had kind of hung around a bunch of other hoods and everything. And then I go to church and they are singing in the choir. And I was like, I really l- loved it. I watched them and everything. But for months I wouldn't do it because I was just too cool to sing in the choir. You know what I mean? And finally I started singing in the choir. And one of the songs we would sing is, Only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ will last. This earth is going to pass away. And I remember those words, only what's done for Christ will last. It's funny how uh, a simple song that you sing when you're 17 years old has such a profound impact on your life because it's completely true. Only what's done. If you don't build your foundation on what I just described, which is your ultimate goal, being conformed to the image of Christ, everything else you do. I don't care if you're the richest. I don't care if you're the most famous. I don't care what you do on this earth. If you don't do it for Jesus Christ, when you get to stand before God in heaven, it'll all be burned up around. You'll be nothing left. Only what's done for Christ will last. So we need to put the idea of trials, okay, and suffering in that same framework. So as we talk through the trials, we talk through suffering, we have to put it in that framework. Does it help me conform to the image of Jesus Christ? When we think of trials as something that happens outside of God, then we miss out on some of the greatest lessons in life. Now, I want to be clear. Trials, suffering, there's there's sometimes God brings trials into our lives, okay? Sometimes, in certain categories, when he wants to move us in a certain direction because maybe there's sin in our lives and he wants to spare us from the suffering that happens down the road. You see, God's not a cosmic killjoy. He loves you and he knows if you continue down a certain path, you're going to suffer the consequences. A lot of you have children, dads, you know that if you allow your children to go down a certain road, they continue to move down that road, you know the end result. You're old enough to understand that. So as a father, you intervene 
And sometimes you will discipline in order to make sure that your child does not go down that road. That's the category in which God responds to us as his children when it comes to trials, when it comes to testing our, you know, and, and our faith. But that's so I want to I want to make that clear. Does God bring trials into our lives? Yes, but in certain categories of our lives. OK, so James chapter one, verses one through four helps us see that God can use the challenges as part of his redemptive plan. God can use whatever. It doesn't matter where they come from. We get trials from we get trials because we put ourselves in situations and we cause suffering in our own lives. Certainly the enemy is the number one reason we have trials and suffering in our lives. But it doesn't matter where they come from. God can use the challenges that we have in our lives, regardless of where they come from. He can use them in his redemptive plan. That's what James is saying in James chapter one In Romans chapter eight and verse 28. It makes it absolutely clear. It says, and we know that in all things, God, all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God, all things means all things, regardless if you inflict it upon yourself, if the enemy inflicts it upon you, it doesn't matter where the trials come from. God can take those, okay, and work all things for his glory, for our good, because he loves us. So God is sovereign over all those things, even even if, if it's not God bringing it into your life because of something that you need in order to move you in a different direction. Doesn't matter if it comes from the worst of circumstances. God is sovereign over those things. So even though he didn't bring it into your life, he can use it in your life. In order to bring about the goal, which is conformity to the image of Christ. See, the pressure that we experience from trials can be used by God to fulfill his purpose in our lives. That means that means God, okay, can bring good out of the evil that happens to us. God can overcome evil with good. God can overcome evil with good. Trials will come into the life of the believer. We have to understand that they will come, but we need to see them. See, if we go back to what we said in the very beginning, if the goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and trials come into our lives and we need to see them as an opportunity for us to grow and become more like Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. Those who dive into the sea of affliction come up with or bring up rare pearls Those who dive into the sea of affliction come up or bring up rare pearls. He has no idea how true uh, that statement really is. I mean, you think you think about it in the case of a pearl. God uses the irritation, if you will. God will use the irritations of life in our lives to bring about works of art. God can bring beauty out of the ashes. You ever thought about how a pearl is actually formed? How a pearl gets formed. It's beautiful pearl. People wear them. They're like treasures. They're rare, right? Beautiful pearls. How are they formed? Well, a a pearl is formed when a, a foreign substance of some kind gets in between the shell and the mantle of the of the oyster. So the, this it's, it's like the, the oyster is getting uh, something in it. It's like a I don't know, like a splinter, if you will. So this splinter gets in there and irritates. It's irritating to the oyster. So what the oyster does in response is it starts to cover over that irritation 
with layers of the same substance that uses to make its shell, to create the shell. So over and over, it's, it's covering over this irritation, covering it over, covering it over, covering it over. And ultimately, that irritation becomes a beautiful pearl. So it's the irritation of the, of the oyster that produces the beautiful pearl. When we, see, when he was saying, he's saying, consider it pure joy. You read that and you're like, has he lost his mind? Consider it pure joy. See, when we consider, when we joyfully, if you will, trust God through our trials, he can take those trials, he can take that suffering, he can take that difficulty, that irritation, and create something beautiful from it. God can take that irritation in your life. Maybe that difficult relationship, that's an irritation. You're going, you have a relationship and it's a real irritation. It causes you harm. It's very frustrating. God didn't inflict that person upon you. It's not God that caused that person to sin and cause you irritation or harm or affliction. But God can then use that relationship to strengthen you and help you become the person that he's created you to be. I said this last week, you know. It'd be great if we all learned by just sitting at the feet of Jesus during peacetime, right? A peaceful time in your life. You're saying, you know what I should do during this peaceful time in my life? I should just sit at the feet of the Lord and read his word and learn and grow. And, and it, that sounds wonderful. But the reality is, when do we grow the most? Think about it. When the splinter gets between the mantle and the shell, right? And we have to call, that's when we grow the most, when we are going through difficult times, We live in a fallen world and God uses that. God didn't cause the world to fall, but God uses that to help us conform to the image of Jesus Christ. So if we joyfully trust him through our trials, God can use those to bring about beautiful things. Well, how does he do that? Well, one of the ways is by strengthening our spiritual core, just like that, just like that, that pearl. There's a core starts in the core. He strengthens our spiritual core. Over, uh, overcoming our trials, if we overcome our trials, it strengthens our spiritual resolve and it molds us. It begins to mold us little by little, little by little, little pearl, little pearl. It molds us into the image of Christ. He covers it over and covers it over and we get strengthened. We get strengthened. We get strengthened. And we become more like we're molded like that pearl into the image of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which is the ultimate goal in life. The other way he does it is he gives us an eternal perspective. You cannot grasp what I'm sharing with you this morning if you do not have an eternal perspective. You cannot understand it if you don't have an eternal perspective. If you have a temporal perspective, which is what's happening right now, how am I feeling right now, how am I going to feel tomorrow or 10 minutes from now, how am I going to feel, it's all about now, 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 i got to feel pleasure, 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 pleasure. That's why the world's running amok, you know that, right? Because they have no clue how to find joy in difficulties. They don't know what peace is, they don't know what joy is, they don't know what contentment is. All they know is happiness, personal happiness right now. And so they run after every pleasure possible. Sexual pleasure, whether it's whether it's drinking too much or whatever, whatever the pleasure is, they're constantly trying to salve over their frustrations and their feelings. They don't understand why they can't have what they want, but they're really looking for peace, joy and contentment, which can't be found. 
and just personal pleasure all the time. They think, oh, that's, that's the most important thing. It's not. You have to have an eternal perspective. If you truly want to live in this world and become the person that God created you to be, you have to have an eternal perspective. John Calvin wrote this. No one will calmly and quietly submit to bear to the cross except those who have learned to seek their happiness beyond this world. Beyond this world. He is absolutely Correct. And where does that type of joy that we that that James is describing, where does it come from? Well, it ultimately comes. It ultimately comes from the supernatural power of God, that God, through the Holy Spirit, is working in your life. He's working in my life. And over time, as we as we submit to his will, as we submit to him and say, God, please use whatever comes my way. And listen, honestly, guys, I'm not standing up here. And just talking and saying, oh, you know, this is so easy. This is so because my life as a pastor is just such a constant, happy, happy, joy, joy time. Right. So I don't really. So I read the Bible and it makes all kinds and it just I throw it out to you. This is really hard. You're dealing with relationships that are overwhelming. You're dealing with suffering, physical suffering that sometimes it's like you just can't take. How how are you going to make it through another day, let alone the rest of your life with this pain that you're going through? You're emotionally, physically, spiritually exhausted. You're struggling and sometimes on so many fronts, you're fighting so many on so many fronts. You don't know which front to fight on next. But I'm telling you, this is truth. I'm not just throwing it out and just words coming out of my mouth. This is truth. You can find joy. You can have peace. You can have contentment even in the midst of your struggles. If you see it with an eternal perspective, if you look at it from an eternal perspective that God, you don't have to like it. Oh, please, Lord, shower more of this down on me. You don't have to have that kind of attitude, but recognizing that because you live in a fallen world, it is going to come. The only question is, how am I going to deal with it? How am I going to turn something that's sometimes very difficult into something good? So with the remainder of our time, what I want to do is I want to I want to show you how James chapter one, verses one through four will help you find joy in the midst of your struggles. All right, because. If we don't figure this out, this is this, life's going to be really long and it's going to be really, 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 really difficult. See, when we when we try to explain before before I actually go into that, I want to say this. Um, when we try to explain suffering to other people around us, we sometimes do more damage than good. So before I jump into the three ways that we can we can find joy from this. What I want to do is I want to look at some things that we do, some things that we say as individuals that cause more harm than good when people are suffering. They come to us and say, why? And then we say a couple. And and there's a lot of them. I'm going to just share two. One I shared last week. okay? and the one I shared last week was when people come to you and say, I'm really suffering, going through this. And you say, well, listen, God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm going to tell you, they love you. So they don't say this out loud, but they're thinking to themselves, you have got to be joking. I've gotten more than I can handle right now. I, I can't I can't handle what I have. The reason that Christians say that is they misinterpret first Corinthians ten thirteen. Okay? They misrepresent it because someone started it and everybody else picked up on this catchphrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. What first Corinthians ten thirteen basically says is God won't let you be tempted, tempted beyond what you can bear, and he'll give you a way out. 
very completely true. When you're going through temptation, God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will give you a way. He will open a door and give you a way out. If you choose not to take it, that's up to you. But God will. But it never says in the Bible that God won't give you more than you can handle. Life will constantly, at different seasons of your life, throw at you more than you can handle. The enemy will beat you to a pulp. But it's, it's in that weakness, when we are the weakest, that God says, I am the strongest. When, I, when you are weak, I am strong. Depend on me. When I'm given more than I can handle, I just draw from, I draw from the strength of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So I can, the, the world's going to throw more than I can handle, but not more than he can handle. And so I draw on his strength. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, it says it perfectly. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why am I strong when I'm so weak? Why am I so strong when I've been given more than I can, I can possibly handle? Why? Isn't that what God tells us to do when you, when you can't take it anymore? Drop to your knees. You're strongest when you're on your knees. You're the most powerful when you're on your knees. When you can't do it any longer, he is, his, his power, his strength is endless. And he wants us to depend on him. So don't say that. Here's the other one. When people suffer, okay, and they're going, and don't feel bad when you say this, because I understand, I understand why people say it, okay? But I need, you need to think through, when someone comes to you who's really suffering and gone through a real tragedy or, or uh, some horrible event, You've got to be careful how you put things. People will say, well, you can find good in everything. You could, oh, there's, there's good in everything. And you just got to find the good in everything. That's not true either. That, that is not true. There's nothing good about murder and abuse. There's nothing good that, that, that from what happened in Orlando last week, okay? There's nothing good about child trafficking, child is snapped up, taken somewhere out of their own country where they have no rights and put in cages and all kinds. You, you're adults. And, and, and you, there, there's nothing good. That's not good. There's, there's, there's no good in every there's not good in every situation. See, if we choose to let God bring good out of evil, that's different. We can choose as followers of Jesus Christ, to allow God to bring good out of evil. But the situation itself is not good. It's not good. If we allow, like I said, God can bring beauty out of the ashes. But the ashes, they're not good. When you tell someone who's been abused, and use your, use your imagination. And when you tell someone who's been abused that, well, you just got to find the good. There's good. You've got to find the good. You know, that... That not, that only ticks them off, as in, especially a non-Christian. That is absurd, and it not only ticks them off, but then a Christian, I've watched Christians spend great parts of their lives trying to figure out why a loving God would do this to them just so they can figure out what the good was in that horrible situation so they can learn from whatever. That's not the way it works. That's not true. Don't spend your whole life trying to find good in an evil situation. The situation is evil. God can bring good from it. But the situation itself is evil. And people get lost trying to find their way through. Well, okay, God did this and, and there's good in it. And there's a good, I've got to find the good. No, 
There's no good in it. See, God's will is not always the path that we walk, but it's how we walk the path. That's God's will. It's not always the path that you're walking. It's how you walk the path. God's will is not for innocent children to be murdered. God's will is not for teenagers to be abused. God's will is not that you're tempted by that addiction time after time after time. That is not not God's will. God's will is not always found in the event that happens to us. It's found in how we respond to that event. That is God's will. We live in a fallen world. The enemy will do something, inflict something upon you. That is not God's will. God's will is how you respond to what was afflicted upon you. How you draw on his strength. How you go to him and say, God, this evil was done to me. Please bring something out of this. Help me to grow. Help me to use this in my life. God's not sitting around going, oh, let's just do that to them because down the road they'll learn something really super duper. So I'm going to make this person abuse that person so that this person learns something 25 or 30 years from now. But in the process, they're going to be like miserable for their lives because they've been internally wounded. And that's not the way it works. God can use what was inflicted upon you. But God's will is not always found in the event That happens to us, but how we respond to that event. God wants to walk with you through that event, that suffering, that trial that you have been put through. He wants to walk. He sometimes, he wants to literally carry you, if you will. He wants to carry you through that event. That, my friends, is God's will. God wants to carry you or walk you through the trial through the difficulty, through the challenge, through the suffering, through all of that. That is God's will. That is how our God works. He wants us to use, once we say, once we submit ourselves and say, oh, this is unreal. I can't believe when I was whatever old this happened to me. God, can you please, I can't do this on my own. I'm overwhelmed. I, I don't know how to process through what this person has done. I don't know how to process through that person has said, can you help me? And then God helps you process through that. And God's will for our lives is then that we use what we have learned through that horrendous circumstance that God has carried us through to not only heal our own lives and our own hearts, but heal the lives of others that are around us who are going through the same thing. Because once you've understood an eternal perspective and how God works and what he's done, and you can talk to them and say, hey, listen, what was done to you was horrendous. It was evil. It was wrong. Done. God then can take and you go through the process and then you help them. You walk through the process that you walk through. That's God's will that we use what we have learned to help others who are living in a hurting world. Okay, so with that, let me share the three ways that we can find joy in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our trials. The first one is we find joy when we realize we all face trials. Okay, we all face trials. Notice James 1, 2 doesn't say... Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, if you face trials of many kinds. It doesn't say if. It says, consider it pure joy when. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. We need to come to the realization. Here's the reality of life. And I know the world doesn't like to own up to this or, or they just want to run and kind of 
hide themselves and, you know, anesthetize in some way or whether it's physical or whether whatever it is, they have to anesthetize constantly because they can't come to the realization that we live in a world of suffering. Okay, we live in a world where every single person, whether you're a Christian or not, okay, is going to go through some type of suffering in your life. You're going to face suffering. All of us will face suffering in one way or another. I mean, Jesus said it, John 16, 33, have I told you, have I told you these things so that you, so, so that in me, you may have peace. I have told you these things so that in me, you will have peace in this world. You will have trouble, right? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. You're going to have trouble. Jesus said in this world, there's no doubt about it. But take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. This is what we've been talking about. In Romans eight seventeen, Paul says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. First Peter chapter four, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We have to come to grips with the fact that we live in a fallen world and we are all going to deal with some type of suffering. And we need to prepare ourselves for that suffering. We need to be ready and prepared for that suffering. You see, God is sovereign over every trial that happens in our life. I said that earlier. Does he inflict some of them upon us? Listen, theologically, God is not the author of sin. So God cannot, okay, inflict you with some of the things that have happened in your life. So stop thinking about how, why did God do this to me? There are some things that happened in your life. God is not the author of sin. He will not and cannot do. So God did not do that because he's not the author of sin. Has God, has God disciplined Jeff Greer before? Yes, he has. That is not evil. That is not wrong. That is not sin. That is loving. A loving father disciplines his child so that I stay on the right path and I accomplish all that he has for me. He protects me from getting myself into situations where I'm facing trials and suffering. But God is not the author of sin. God is sovereign over all the trials we face. He can use them to fulfill his plan for our life. But here's the thing. Listen to me. Evil never gets the last word in the life of a believer. Unless we choose to allow it. Evil never, okay, never. That, that event that happened to you, that, those circumstances, that abuse, whatever. Evil never gets the last word in the life of a believer unless we allow it. And the Bible never hides the fact that we're going to go through trials and suffering. The Bible never, you know, plays it around. Oh, it's, you know, one, I, I, it really bothers me when people talk and, and lead people to the Lord. And they lead them to the Lord with some kind of magical, oh, now your life's going to be perfect. And yeah, it's just going to be, you know, peaches and sunshine all the time. Just blow sunshine around the room, okay? And then I'll ask you to come to the Lord. That's just not true. What you win people with is what you win people to. And that's why we have a lot of people who, who raise their hand and click their heels together and come forward, but then they don't live the life because it's like, wait, I've been sold a bill of goods. The Bible never says, it always tells us, in this life, you're going to have struggles. Trials are going to come. God warns us so that we're not caught off guard. He warns us so that we understand these things are going to come. No one should ever be, you should never be surprised when you face trials in your life. 
I, as a baby believer, I thought that I thought that the Christian life was a life of peace. Right. And then every once in a while, there'd be a war, there'd be a time of battle. There'd be a battle that you fight. So I'm going to have peace, 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 and then I'll fight a battle and I'll grow a little bit and peace, 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 peace. And then I'll find a little battle and I'll grow a little bit. That's not how it works. We are in a spiritual war. And we are in a spiritual war. Anyone old enough knows exactly what I'm talking about here. We are in a spiritual war from birth until death. Spiritual war. okay? and it is God who gives us times of peace to heal and to grow and to process the war that we're in. We get times of peace. I don't know about you. Have you ever done this? Probably not because my mind works. But when I'm in a time of peace, I know it, boy. And every day I pray, one more day. Just one more day. <laughs> one more day. Next day, one more. I'll take one more day. One more day. Right? It's okay. What did Jesus do in the Garden of Gethsemane? Right? He's thinking about all the suffering he's going to have to go through. He say, yeah, you guys stay up and pray for me. They're falling asleep. He's in there. He's sweating blood. He's sweating blood. He's so overwhelmed. God, he gave him a little more than he can handle. <laughs> He's sweating blood, right? And what does he say? Hey, Lord, God, Father, if you can take this cup, take it from me. Fully God, fully man. The fully man slide was like, hey, I have a great idea. Let's change the plan a little bit. This is overwhelming. This is unbelievable. The fully God said, oh, but not my will be done. Your will be done. So I would say to, I would say to God, I say it all the time, just one more day of peace, one more day of peace, one more day of peace, one more day of peace. And I can tell you, boy, I know when it comes to a screeching halt. But when we understand that God is going to help us, God can use our trials, we better understand how, how we can become more like Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you something else. When we understand what God is saying and what God is saying is true, what God is saying is true, it helps us when we're in those trials to trust him. We don't trust him sometimes. We get angry at him. I lose my job, I'm ticked off, and I'm ticked off and ticked off until I find the next job. I, 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 don't, I don't get what I want here, I'm ticked off, I'm ticked off, I'm ticked off at God until, it, he fi- until he fixes it. And what I'm saying is, when, if we know that God is sovereign over all these things, when they come, we begin to trust him through the difficulty, through the trial. It gives us that strength, that understanding. Okay, second, we find joy in our trials when we realize that God uses our trials to help us to grow, we can find joy when we truly come to the realization that God can use us to help me to grow. James Stewart said this, the true Christian reaction to suffering and sorrow is not the attitude of self-pity, fatalism or resentment. It is a spirit which takes life's difficulties as a God-given opportunity and regards its troubles as a sacred trust and wears the thorns as a crown. Wears the thorns as a crown. See, verses 3 and 4 tell us, it kind of explains to us, how we can find joy in the midst of our struggles. In verse 2, James tells us in verse 2, he, he, he basically says, he refers to our, our, our trials, he refers to them as, I'm sorry, he refers to our suffering as a trial in verse 2. Okay, but then in verse three, he refers to our our suffering as a test. He says it's a test. So he uses the word trial and he uses the word test. The word test in verse three means to prove something's worth. 
Remember, I talked about trusting God. When you go through a trial, and I'm not saying God is the one inflicted, but when you go through a trial, what's happening, what James is saying and other writers are saying, is it proves your worth. It shows who you are. It proves who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. James, let me back up a little bit. James is talking to, in the context of this passage, he's talking to Christians who are being persecuted. They're being persecuted. Their stuff is being taken away. Their families are being taken away. They're being kicked out of their own. They are being persecuted. We, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to be persecuted. You are going to be persecuted. And James is saying that trials strengthen a believer's faith. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to go through difficulties in life. And now we can expand this beyond just persecution like we did this morning. But that's the context in which he's talking about it. And what he's saying is if you understand that, trials strengthen your faith. See, we should, if that's the case, we should take pride in the fact that we are, that we are making enough noise, spiritual noise with our lives. If you stand up and say things outside of this church, in this culture, that you believe, you are going to be persecuted. Most Christians just avoid all the topics now because you are going to get slaughtered if you say one thing that goes opposed to what the culture is saying. And what I'm saying to you, we should consider it pure joy that we are we are bold enough to attract the kind of attention that leads to a spiritual battle because it's in that fight, in that suffering that we that we we that we 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 we, we get this. We produce the endurance that God wants for our lives. It is in that battle. It is in that fight. It is in that persecution that we that we beget we get endurance. That we produce endurance in our lives. You're not going to produce endurance if all you do is skirt a battle, run away from a fight, okay, and look for every opportunity just to seek pleasure and make sure that you don't face any difficulties in this world. See, the, the joy that we feel comes from the reality that our trials are helping us. Let me say it again, conform to the image of Jesus Christ. That's where the joy comes from. And he says that it produces endurance, right? Endurance is not the final goal. The final goal is conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. Endurance and character, all those things are important. But where are they leading you? They're leading you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So endurance is not the end goal here. Conformity to the image of Christ is the end goal. Number three, we find joy when God gives us the power to accomplish those goals. We can find joy when you're going through this process and God is infusing upon you the power of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit is working through you. Then you find joy. He says this, the fact that he says um, endurance must complete its work. Endurance must complete its work. It helps us to see that God is working throughout the entire process. Endurance must finish its work. What is, how does it finish its work? What is the ultimate goal of endurance? To conforming to the image of Christ. What is, why does that bring me joy? Because I know if it's going to finish its work that God is involved from the beginning to the end. Someone does something to me. Trials come into my life. Suffering comes into my life. Trials come into my life. I know that God is walking me through every step of the way. He'll get me through it. He'll give me the strength. When, I, when all my strength is gone, when I've been given more than I can handle, he is going to carry me and he's going to get me through it. He is sovereign over all of these things. The Bible says that we should endure trials 
for our own spiritual growth and to glorify God. I need to glorify God through my life. We realize, we realize in our lives sometimes, and we need to realize that our response to the, the suffering and the trials that we go through is really important. It is. Even if no one is looking, honestly, the response, our response to the trials and the difficulty, the suffering that we face, is, it really matters because it reveals our hearts. A, pers- a person who has a heart for God trusts God during those trials. A person who, who's, who's spiritually mature and has a heart for Jesus Christ will trust God in the midst of their suffering. But a person who is double-minded, and we're gonna, we'll learn more about this in, in the book of James, a person who is double-minded will doubt God's goodness in the midst of the trial. They'll doubt God's goodness. And they'll see. Here's what they'll do. You'll, you can see this. They'll see the trial, okay, as something completely negative. They will see that trial as interfering with their personal happiness. See? And so they're angry with God. They're angry with everything else. They're bitter. They're frustrated. They have all these issues going on because they're, number one, they don't trust God. They're angry with God that the trial that they're going through, that he could have stopped. Why don't you just stop it? That's a whole other topic that is easy to, to answer. Okay, if you have a, a question about it, let's talk later. But why didn't he do this? And so what they do is they're angry that they're going through the trial because the trial is interfering with their ultimate goal in life, which they'll never achieve, which is personal happiness all the time. And anything gets in the way of that needs to go. See, in other words, our response to suffering reveals our spiritual maturity. And that's okay. Seriously, if you respond to suffering and you're like, you're the one shaking your fist at God, that's okay. Hear me out. That's okay. As long as you're moving down the spiritual road, okay? As long as you're understanding, I need to grow. This is not where I, this is really not where I need to be. I need to, I need to grow. Here's the reality. Again, we are all going to face seasons of our lives where we go through suffering believers and unbelievers we're we're all going to experience that but here's here's another truth that you have to understand none of us will ever come close to going through the suffering that jesus christ went through but here's the cool thing okay he he experienced suffering physically emotionally spiritually and every level more than anyone this world combined will ever ever see He experienced suffering way more than all of us will ever experience. Why? Why? He experienced suffering so that he could ultimately redeem your suffering and my suffering. He experienced what he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He emotionally suffered beyond and spiritually suffered because he's fully God and knew exactly what he was going to face. Not just, ow, I'm being crucified. This is painful. But the emotion of taking all the sin of the world upon him. He knew because he was fully God, he could comprehend that. That's why he sweat blood, not because they were going to nail him to a cross. But he endured that suffering so he could redeem my suffering. See, here's the cool thing. Not even death, not even death, the suffering of death has the last word in my life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he suffered. He redeemed my suffering. So not even, not, I was talking to someone before the service and we were just joking about, like, they, I startled them, you know. And I always joke with Josh, he tries to startle me. Like, he'll jump up behind the couch and I'm watching something or I'm reading and he'll, oh, and I just, what do you want? 
And he bothers him because he's like wants to startle me. And I keep telling him, if you don't, if you're not afraid to die. What, what, what are you going to do? He, oh, I, people tell me, I don't want to walk through the, the, the soccer field, you know what I mean? Because it's so dark and everything. And you know, I'm saying, well, if you're not, if you have no fear of dying, then what? Walk across the soccer field. What's going to happen? Some kill you. Jesus suffering redeemed our suffering and not even death gets the final say in the life of a believer. Let me say that again. Not even death gets the final say in the life of a believer. And that's why through Christ suffering can actually become joy because we know he can use it. We know he'll redeem it. We know when the evil one brings horrors into our lives. And some of you guys, I know your story. You've been through horrors thing, horrible things. But you know that in Christ, that can be redeemed. That can be transformed. God can use that. See, now, what it, now I just want to ask you, what is, what, is your, what is your response? Think about it. What is your response to suffering? And when you answer that question, and don't, don't beat yourself up. This is not a beat yourself up sermon. This is a grow. Just grow. It's okay. What is your response to suffering? And then as you answer the question, what does it say about your spiritual, where you are in your spiritual journey? What does it say? It says I'm probably a little, not as mature as I should be. Okay, I'm not as mature as I should be. So we can grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can become more like Jesus Christ. See, here's the question. Do you trust God's goodness? Do you trust God's goodness? Is your, is your faith strong enough to endure the trials that you're going to face? Because we're all going to face them. See, in, in our culture, we confuse joy with personal happiness and I think if we really want to even find even some happiness, from, I guess from that perspective, we better learn to tell the difference between the two because people don't know the difference between peace, joy, contentment, and happiness. They don't know the difference. And, it's, and, they, and they just keep digging themselves into deeper and deeper and deeper holes. We need to understand the difference between the two. And I've, I, found, I found as I was reading through, I found this by Walter uh, Wangren, he wrote this in, in Relive the Passion. The difference between, listen, and I'm going to, if you want this quote, I'll send it to you because you really need to, one, one time me reading, it's not going to do it, and I want you to know it. The difference between shallow happiness and a deep, sustaining joy is sorrow. Happiness lives where sorrow is not. When sorrow arrives, happiness dies. It can't stand pain. Joy, on the other hand, rises from sorrow and therefore can withstand all grief. Joy, by the grace of God, is the transfiguration of suffering into endurance and of endurance into character and of character into hope. And the hope that has become our joy does not, as happiness must for those who depend on it, disappoint us. Joy does not disappoint us. Happiness will always disappoint us if we lay the foundation of our lives on trying to be personally happy all the time. It has to disappoint you because as soon as you know the fact that you're going to suffer and go through sorrow, the moment sorrow or suffering enters the picture, happiness dies. Joy does not. I'm going to read that one part again. It says, it is, it, joy is by the grace of God, the transfiguration of suffering into endurance. 
I think that's profound. See, if you're in a season of suffering in your life right now, okay, or so, let me say, if you're not in a season of suffering in your life right now, it is the it is the perfect time to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from Him. If you're not going through it right now, it is a perfect time to sit at the feet of Jesus and develop a mature understanding of trials. Now is the time to sit down and study and listen and develop in your own mind, your own heart, a good theology around trials, suffering, difficulty, sorrow. Now's the time. Now's the time to do it. And then listen, once you do that, don't be surprised if you have to use it soon after. Don't be surprised. Not everything that happens in your life is for a good reason. Not everything that happens in your life is for a good reason, but in everything that happens, God can use it to help us, to heal us, to bring hope and healing, not only to our lives, but to the lives of the people around us. It just depends, right? Honestly, if you're going to choose to allow him to do that in your life. It's your choice. It's my choice. Will we allow God to use a suffering that is in our lives to, to, bring, to, to bring hope and healing to our own lives and to the lives of those around us? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thanks for the opportunity, Lord God, to come here and just deal with some tough subjects. We love you, Lord. We know, we know that you're a God who loves us. A God who's sovereign over every area of our lives. And even though we live in a fallen world, God, you can use the trials and the suffering and the difficulty, all of it. You can use it to help us to conform to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. If we will allow that to happen, open up our hearts, open up our minds, allow us, Lord, to surrender ourselves to you, even those trials in our lives so that we can become more like you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.